blessed be your name, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we bless you, Father, today. We thank you. Such a beautiful song. And just want to appreciate God for that. I also want to say that it's good to see all these faces in church today. And we want to remember those that are not well. And um, uh, prayer is very important. And I thought uh, last night Brother Sam did an excellent job speaking to this church. I thought he watered the message and just did not only stay on watering the message, but he supported what he watered with scripture. He was calm and tranquil, and I appreciated his exhortation last night. The first song we were singing, uh, what's the title of that song? It is my desire to be like Jesus. And while we were singing that song, I decided to ask God to help me and to place in my life that desire to be like Jesus. It's um, a very important element in uh, the life of every child of God or every Christian. And today I would like to talk to you for a few moments here. And I never have enough time to tell you all that is in my heart. But you're here today and I'm thinking when this song, we were singing this song, I'm thinking how important it is in the overall plan of God for God's children to pattern after God's Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, and I'm turning to Ephesians, even though that's about the last scripture uh, in my notes, I'd like you to turn to Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus. Uh, Paul did not start, but um, it was started by a young man whose name was Apollos. And Paul was there for about three years, and his stern method of preaching and his very blunt approach to dealing with iniquity and sin, and especially in among the Ephesians, he dealt uh, against their idolatry. Uh, he was exiled from the city, and he could not go back into the city of, of the Ephesians, and so he wrote letters. And there was one time he met some of the elders from Ephesus, and he told them that after he was gone, uh, after he died and left this world, um, grievous wolves will enter in among them, not sparing the flock. In other words, it was not four-legged wolves. It was talking about preachers who would come on in and undermine what he had planted in the lives of the people. And so in Ephesians, and I'll start before I back up to chapter 1, I'll start with chapter 4, very popular, very um, remarkable scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, I therefore, uh, the prisoner of the Lord, when he said prisoner of the Lord, uh, he was speaking uh, concerning his submission to Christ. Uh, not only physically was he imprisoned, 
but spiritually he counted himself as a slave and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was in Rome when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. He says that you walk worthy, worthy, you live according to God's plan, not according to your plans. He says you walk worthy of the vocation, not vacation, but vocation. The word vocation tells us of a lifestyle or that which occupies us on a daily basis. It is your daily routine uh, way of doing things. He says you walk worthy of your vocation uh, wherewith you're called. And remember the word called, he says, uh, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now, look at this scripture very carefully because we'll talk today about to be like Jesus. I like that song, to be like Jesus. Um, to be like Jesus, I must first of all understand who Jesus was. Well, I know Jesus. No, we don't. Half of us don't know Jesus. And that is why in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said when he returns, uh, many will come to him in that day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name that is preached in your name and in your name cast out devils and in your name done many wonderful works? But Jesus will tell them, he says, I will profess unto them, I don't know you. Who are you? He will say, I don't know you. While I'm thinking this relationship that Jesus is talking about, this knowledge, is not understanding the historic Jesus or the physical Jesus, whoever he was. Uh, this knowing is having an understanding, a deeper understanding and an experience with Christ that we might know him. All right? And when we know him, when we have an understanding of who he is, his lowliness, verse 2, and his meekness, uh, we will understand what Paul meant in some of the other scriptures. And I'm thinking right now, um, you know, here's my notes, but I never really preach with notes. Uh, for 50-something years I've been preaching, and for 40 years here in Canada, and I would say maybe for 30 years plus, I've never really preached from notes, but I just stand up. And if I remember scripture accurately, we can um, move around the Bible. Now hold your finger in uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians and just the next book, uh, the letter, the next epistle after Ephesians is Philippians. And we're talking about understanding who Jesus is because... It is important to be like Jesus. We must understand who he is. In Philippians, the third chapter of Philippians, and this one church, uh, Paul had started, the church at Philippi. And in Philippians, the third chapter, Paul is making some statements here. He said in verse, he says, verse 7, he says, What things were gained to me, that is, he was a Pharisee, and the Bible tells us he claimed to be the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He says, what things were gained to me, I had to give up. 
And this is where discipleship comes, my friends, listening to me carefully. Discipleship means you can't live and do things the way you want it done. You've got to live according to God's will. Now, I might be speaking to a hundred people listening to me today, but only ten are willing to make that sacrifice. We look at the life of Jesus himself. He spent three and a half years on this earth. And he had thousands of people that he fed and did miracles. But yet when he left on the day of Pentecost, there was only about 120 uh, that were up there. And you wonder why is it sometimes you preach a lot and see a little accomplished. Well, look at the examples of the Bible. Jesus spent three and a half years, and what did he have? Paul spent many, many years, almost 35 to 40 years, preaching the gospel. And when he was ready to die, he saw most of his churches deteriorated because the devil would come on in and thwart the plan of God for your lives in that he wants you to pursue your own goals rather than that which God has planned for you. I'm here in Canada and in Mississauga, not because I like this place as the best place on the planet to live. I'm here because God wants me here. And just before church got started, I told Brother Sam, uh, my brother, younger brother, I told Brother Sam, I said, I'm here because God wants me to die to myself. And I said, I'm here, and this church and Mississauga has become my spiritual wilderness that is making me stronger and more, uh, my faith has grown stronger, and I'm more obstinate in my desire to serve God than I ever was in all my life. And it takes the negatives in life to bring out the positives. Many, many years ago, Sister Chandri, we had just barely known each other. And um, uh, she sent that message to me when I was going through problems as a young man. I was about 20 years old and I was uh, facing a lot of difficulties. When I was 20 years old, I was pastoring three churches directly and I was oversighting a district with about 12 small churches. I was 20 years old. And uh, I had problems because being young, uh, people do not really want to listen to you. And so she sent a letter, and in that letter it had a statement made that it takes stormy waters to produce skilled sailors. I'll say that again. It takes stormy waters to produce skilled sailors. I reposted one of my messages on the internet uh, day before yesterday or might have been yesterday that was titled to glory in my infirmities every child of god shall listen to that message especially if you're having a hard time living for god you should go and listen to that message over and over and over because i've done listening to it over and over and so stormy waters produce skilled sailors, and without stormy waters, skilled sailors will not be produced. Without your trials, you will have nothing to overcome and defeat. Without the negative coming against you, uh, you will not develop strength and s- spiritual stability. Uh, you need the negatives to come against you in life. 
It's not the storms, it's how you weather the storms. It is not storms that would beat against your boat, spiritually speaking, is how you set your sail to face those storms. We don't run from the battles. If we run from our battles, we'll never be able to celebrate a single victory. And in God's eternal plan, long before anything was ever created, God had a plan of salvation. And in the midst of that plan, he had his son uh, to die as a sacrifice. And the Bible says he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He, in the image of God, was created. And that image is very important for you to remember today. Because your image must be lost. And the image of Christ must be developed in your lives as uh, that is the purpose of God, because God's plan uh, in the original creation when he created man and man's fall, Eve was necessary, a necessary part in God's plan because take Eve away and Adam would not have fallen or entered into sin. But sin was necessary. What? Burning? Yes, it was. That is why the Savior died before God, Adam, even was created. And sin was necessary, and the fall was necessary. And going through the Bible, whether it's the patriarchs, um, whether it's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and the nation of Israel coming through, when you look at their, their journeys over, over and over again, uh, Israel... Uh, why did they end up in Egypt when God told uh, Abraham to go into the land of Canaan? Well, he thought the land of Canaan should be free of conflicts, should be all positive, free of the negatives. And so he went into the land of Canaan and there was a famine there. And so before all was over, Abraham and his, uh, the descendants of Abraham, Abraham himself went into Egypt, but his descendants all immigrated to Egypt where there was corn. And that is the problem with God's people. They can't stick it out. They can't face the heat. And that is the reason why the bride of Christ is not made up of every individual that is a part of the church. The bride of Christ is made up of a selected group of individuals that Revelation 14 describes as 144,000 having the Father's name written in their forehead. Uh, the population of the world, if you compare 144,000 to the entire population of billions of people that occupy this world over the years, it is less than 1% of 1% of humanity. So when someone tells you you can live how you want and do whatever you want and be in the bride of Christ, that's not so. To be in the bride of Christ, you'll have to be an overcomer. And so we're talking about that today. That is why to be like Jesus is a beautiful song to sing, but a hard process to follow after. Uh, you can't just be like Jesus, monkeying around your life. You've got to change. And so we are talking about this, and Paul said here in Philippians, the third chapter, he said, Yea, doubtless, I count, verse 8, he, I count all things but loss. This man had to be a true discipleship. Jesus said to his disciples, 
He said, if any man will be my disciple, let him do a few things. One, deny himself. Two, take up his cross. Three, follow me. Deny yourself uh, of the things that will exalt your human spirit. Take up your cross and then follow Christ and be a true disciple. I'm trying my best to get some disciples to follow me. And that's a job by itself. I imagine what the disciples had to encounter in their times. No wonder when I look back at the Old Testament, all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and all these men of the Old Testament, they were all rejected by God's people. Every single one of them was rejected by God's people. Then when you come into the New Testament period, every one of the apostles, except I think John, they tried to kill him and it didn't succeed. Except John, I think, every one of the apostles were killed for the gospel that they preached. And today when we see a little bad weather and we complain about coming to church, we don't even understand in the slightest form what is demanded of discipleship. You're quiet. I like that. I like when you listen and you're quiet and say amen, amen, amen and don't even hear what I say. Every one of those men were rejected and they died. The greatest rejection of all time, Isaiah writes about, he says, who had believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He says, concerning Jesus, he shall grow up before God as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. Jesus had no form nor comeliness. And when they saw him, when we see him, we will... There's no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised of men. The nation of Israel that he came to save despised him. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And Isaiah said, we hid as it were our faces from him. John writes, he says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as receive him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. And that is why you and I are sitting here today, because when Israel, like Brother Sam showed us last night, rejected Christ, we that wild olive vine was grafted in, and we were given the grace of God. Let's not mock it up. We have a privilege that we don't really deserve given to us. Let's not mock it up. Discipleship is not easy to pursue. And so Paul said here, he says, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. Why, Paul? He says, For the excellency of the knowledge, we come back with that word knowledge, to know Christ, to have a knowledge of him. There's more than just reading about Jesus. Listen, what this world has is not worth the while sacrificing your life for. What God offers, that is important. And Paul says that I might know him, that I might have a knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And here is what he said. The Apostle Paul, 
he says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. It's not as easy to give up things that are good and wonderful. When I decided to accept the Lord and become a part of this movement that we are in, this body of Christ, Gospel Assembly Church, I lost friends, Brother Sam would tell you. I had about 40 different friends that I had, uh, fellow ministers, they all came against me, called me false prophet. Uh, You know, like, hey, you're not saying what we are saying, so you're contrary. Guess what? I am glad that I'm saying what I'm saying because I'm not, I'm in the scripture. If you have your mind in scripture, when I stand, I speak scripture as God gives me the utterance. Uh, The priest's lips, Malachi says, should keep knowledge. And they that seek it should seek it at his mouth. A man that is called to the ministry must have the word of God in his heart. And it will come to his mouth as he stands to speak. And so Paul says, I suffer the loss of a lot of things. Friends and family and prestige and comfort. And uh, what the world had to offer me. I suffer the loss. It's not easy giving it up. I became a preacher because I was a loser. No, sir. Now, when I was 18 years old, I retired being a school teacher that started being a school teacher when I was 16. Mm-hmm. I did not fail in life, so I became a preacher. I was called, and that is why I'm a preacher. Amen. And I've continued preaching for over 50 years, and God is good. And I'm glad that you're sitting here listening to me today. And I pray the words that I speak unto you, there'll be spirit and life that they can reach on into your life and generate a change that you too might want to serve God the rest of your life. And Paul went on here, he says, verse 9, sorry, verse 10, we skip a little here because of time. He says that I may know him. So when Jesus said, I don't know you, depart from you, you that work iniquity, keep that in mind. Because iniquity and knowing Christ are two main elements in this talk that I'm talking to you today. He says that I may know him. Well, I know him. No, 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 you don't. Knowing Christ is having more than a head knowledge. It's having an acquaintance in your heart and a relationship. Prime Minister Harper signed a document for me. Do I know him? If I meet him right now, I might not even know what he looks like. But knowing Christ is not just the historic Christ that you need to know. Knowing him is having a relationship with him that you can talk with him and you can obey his commandments. He says, now are you my disciples if you keep the things I say unto you. I know who are my disciples when they follow the principles of what I preach. And today, I want to tell you, like Brother Sam said last night, the internet preaching will never save you. You must be in a church where individuals are there to rub against your grain. Iron, the Bible says, sharpen it iron. You need to have some enemies so you can love them. You need to have someone take advantage. They that despitefully use you. you, So you'll be able to bless them. I don't have enemies. I really don't. Chandri, do you think I have enemies? That's my wife. 
right? Still my wife, right? Yeah. Do I have enemies? She gets sometimes bothered with me because I love everybody. I meet people on the street, don't know who they are. I love them. If I go sit in front of my house, everybody that passed the street know me and they love me and I love them. I love the Muslim, I love the Hindu, I love whoever that passes down that street. It doesn't mean I accommodate all that they do, but I am to love the unlovable because God loved me when I was not lovable. He loved me when I was a sinner, when I was condemned, when I was lost. He sent his son to die for me when I was ungodly. How can I not reflect that goodness of God to other individuals around me? But more than that, I want to become like his son. And so Paul said the same thing. He says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Here is the part that you need to understand. And the fellowship of his suffering. He suffered. I must be prepared to suffer also in this life. Because whatever he suffered made him who he was. So I'm finished with Philippians, and I'm not holding your finger in Ephesians. We're coming back there. But turn a little further down. Uh, there is a scripture running through my head, and it's in, in Hebrews, uh, the first, second chapter of Hebrews. Uh, Paul, I think, is the author of Hebrews. Uh, the King James translator says the, apostle, the, uh, the epistle of the apostle Paul but according to historic records, they don't know who wrote this book. I think Paul did. And in chapter 1, it tells us who Jesus is a little bit about a creator, his, the express image. Verse chapter 1, verse 3, who being the brightness of God's glory, he is the brightness of the Father's glory, the express image of his person. And it goes on here further on in chapter, uh, chapter 1. It says the, the father speaks to the son in verse 8. And he said to the son, he says, But thou, unto the son, he said, Thy throne, O God. See, the father is God and his son is also God. They are two distinct and separate entities. I hate to upset the theological concept of everyone that says they are one. Then I wonder too. The father is the one that is the begetter and the son is the begotten. I'm a human being and my daughter is human. Are you human? Yes, she is human. I'm human. A human begets human. A God begets a God. And the father, he said to his son, he says, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. It's in your Bible. He says, this day have I begotten thee, right there in, 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 in Hebrews. He says, uh, verse 5, But unto which of the angels saith he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And so sometimes theology uh, goes against what I preach. And what I preach is supported by Scripture. What theologians have promoted is not all the time supported by Scripture. But the Father said, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, when he bringeth again the first begotten in the world, 
He said, let all the angels worship him. So the son is God and the father is God. All right. And then he comes down further on here. He said in verse eight, but unto the son, he said, thy throne. What does the father call the son? O God, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of your kingdom. And he said to him, verse 9, thou hast loved righteousness. Now here's something you pay attention to. Because if I'm to become like Jesus, I have to learn to become like him, to love righteousness. And what does the rest say? And hate iniquity. I must love righteousness and hate any form of religious activity in the church that is not ordained by God. Ever so often we want to spice up church by bringing in something that Hollywood produces or some ungodly society produces or apostate Christianity produces, bring it into the church to spice up the church. We don't do that. Anytime anything is added to the church that God has not approved in the form of worship and dedication, it's called iniquity. Jesus loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. Keep that in mind. Got 15 minutes, a little more than 15 to go. And then in chapter 2, in chapter 2 of Hebrews, he said here, but we see Jesus. Verse 9, but we see Jesus. Who was made a little lower than the angels when he came on this earth. God made him as a man. He was made a little lower than the angels. Why? So he can die for our sins. He could not remain an angelic being or a, a, a celestial being and die. So God had to make him a human being. He had to be born of a human from a human source. And so uh, he was made... A human being so he can die for the sin of mankind. All right? Crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, Jesus, by the grace of his Father, should not taste death, should taste death for everyone. God, in his goodness for you and I, that should die for our sins because the wages of sin is death. Now, here is something else that they told me I'm a false prophet about. Because I said the Bible does not teach heaven and hell as the ultimate ends of mankind. It teaches life or death. Life is important to understand and death is important to understand. I spoke to someone yesterday, someone that's not in church. And I told the person we were talking, or she lost her husband, very young man, COVID-19 took him away. And we we're talking about the reality of death. And she says, you know, he died. He was very healthy. He had no blood sugar, blood pressure, anything. He must have been, I think he must have been about 35, 40 years old and died. And she got shook up. And uh, one day I, I took some flowers for her. And I took the flowers and it made her cry because nobody ever thought of giving her. But these people I meet every day and I like to give you flowers when you're alive. Yes, I took some flowers for her. You see all these people that turn up when you're dead to give you flowers and say you look good. They're liars. They're not real. Um, so I take flowers when there's no occasion. I give chandri. And so 
We took flowers for her and she was there and I said to her, the death is real. She said, yes. And I said, some people, when you die, they said, you're gone to a better place. You know what that lady told me? She says, but they don't want to go to the better place. If it's a better place, what are you doing down here? That took, took my mother away. In the past year, I lost my big brother and I lost my baby sister to death. Well, they're gone to a better place. No, they're dead. And if they lived right, they're awaiting Jesus coming back and resurrecting the dead. And I pray that they live, live right. I can't vouch for them. They know how they lived. But it made me cry. I cried many and many days for my sister and my brother and my mom. It was endless tears that I cried for my mom sitting by the side of her grave. Death is not an easy thing to cope with. Mm -hmm. And so these are realities that we have to, and Jesus had to suffer death so you and I can have an opportunity of eternal life in the future. For the Lord must descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. There is a resurrection. Paul will come forth in the resurrection. David will come forth in the resurrection. Stephen will come forth in the resurrection. And I pray to God my mom and my brother and my sister would come forth in the resurrection. And if I die, I pray to God I can come forth in the resurrection of the dead. It is such a wonderful thing, a thing to have. A hope that is real. Not believing in a fantasy. Jesus died, taste death. Now listen to verse 10 in the second chapter of Hebrews. It says, For it became him for whom are all things... And by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. God is taking his son through a process. The father to make, to make. The father is making the captain or the leader of their salvation perfect or complete. How? Through suffering. And so Paul understood that Jesus was made complete through suffering. And if Christ was made complete by suffering, then I must be acquainted with the suffering of Christ. When I have to suffer, it helps to modify my spirit and to develop Christ in my life. Chapter 5, Hebrews. There is another scripture, and I think it is verse 8. In verse 8, it says, Though he was a son, the son of the Father, yet learned he obedience. Jesus had to learn obedience. Well, I thought he was always obedient. Well, it was, he was always obedient until when he was about in Gethsemane. And the pressure of the, and the guilt of sin was upon him. And he was perspiration were like drops of blood. And he prayed. He who never was guilty of a sin felt the guilt of the world's sin upon him while he was in Gethsemane. He told his disciples, he said, I'm, I'm sorrowful even unto death. He says, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. Yes, sir. And he would have died, but he prayed. He would have died in Gethsemane and not made it to Calvary to die on the cross. Mm -hmm. And so he prayed. He says, Father, 
let this cup pass from me. The Lord Father allowed that to happen to him so he can pray that prayer. He could have backed away and says, I'm not going to die on no Calvary. I don't want to take on anybody's sin. Who wants to suffer? No, but he suffered for me. So because he suffered for me, my suffering is not even a drop in the Atlantic Ocean to what Jesus bare. What he bore 2,000 years ago, my little suffering every day is nothing to compare. And so when I suffer to bring the gospel to you, and I suffer all kinds of things and in my life and uh, fall off the ladder and doing all kinds of stuff, I suffer for you. Don't let my suffering go in vain. Because it's helping me, I hope it's helping you. The messages I preach are not formulated from some human source. It's the Word of God. I believe in studying the Word of God. And then when I stand, hope that God touch my mind. That I can bring scripture to light. And bring salvation to the ones that are listening. But only he that had ears to hear will hear. And he was made suffering uh, perfect through suffering. Verse 8. By the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author Complete. He became complete. He became the author of eternal salvation. And that, that is why we must understand what Jesus went through when he was in Gethsemane. He could have backed away. He had, the, he had the power to make a choice. But he chose. He says, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not why, uh, what I will, not my will, but thine be done. And the father sent angels to strengthen him so he did not die or did not have to die in Gethsemane. And so he was strengthened by angels and survived until the end. And so back here in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, there's, uh, it's important that we understand that we are one to be like Jesus. And Paul writes here to the Ephesians, and he said, when he ascended on high, verse 10, chapter 4, he said, this is the, he that descended is the same that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And then Jesus gave ministry gifts to the church. And he gave some apostles, and some pastors, and some, uh, where are me? Uh, where am I? Um, Apostles, prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers. For what purpose? Why did the Lord raise up preachers and give it to the early church? You see, today, a preacher is, preachers are a dime a dozen. Everybody wants to preach. I took people out that did not understand even how to spell Jesus and taught them everything they knew, and then they grew up, and they wanted to tell me what the will of God is for my life. And I listened, because when we were brought up in the Caribbean, there was a song they sang. They said, where ignorance is bliss, it's a folly to be wise. I won't tell you the rest of that song, but that was a part of a song. And that is true. Sometimes people feel like they could grow out of their position. And instead of learning to stretch forth their hands and let another lead them and guide them where they would not normally want to go, they're trying to tell the leader what to do. What a world we're living in. And, 
Here Paul writes, he says, he gives some apostle, why is he raising up? For the perfecting of the saints. To bring you and I in the church to a place of maturity. And he says, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, and that is where my ministry and my messages should not only remain in the hearts of those in this local church, but ever so often God might use his own methods of sending it out. I really don't care to travel around the world and preach. That might be what he might want me to do, but I don't really care. And Brother Joe, I thank God that God has sent you, that you put these messages on Spotify. See that man sitting there? He's got a degree. The one sitting behind him has got five degrees. And they sit in this church, but they can listen to a man who does not have a single degree. That's not important. The more I accumulate from man's sources, the more I'll have to give up, which is hard to give up. I must suffer the loss of all things that I might win Christ. And Paul went on here. He says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How long? Everybody go with me slow in verse 13. Till. How long? How long must I work in your life, brother uh, Frank? Till. Brother Emmanuel, till. Brother Dwayne, good to see you. Pull your mask, let me see your face. Oh, now I remember who you are. There you go. Thank you. Uh, till we all come into the knowledge. So when you know Jesus, you don't know him. When you know him academically, you still don't know him. We're talking about the knowledge that Jesus says, I don't know you. I want when we see him in the resurrection, he'll says, I know you. Because Paul's knowledge was in the heart and in his life. We need the knowledge of Christ in our hearts and in our lives that we can have an experience with him. I can talk to him every day. Somebody says, well, I love Jesus. When last you spoke to him? Well, I want to be like Jesus. No, you don't. It's a nice song to sing. It's a hard process to pursue. To be like Jesus means you sacrifice everything just to obey God. And Paul says that ministry is given till we all come into the unity of the faith, unto the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. End result, whether it was planned in eternity before anything was created, the end result is to bring us to that place where we become like Jesus. That's God's plan. You got your own plan, you're missing the point. That is why everyone in the bride of Christ will have the complete image of Christ established in their lives. They don't do according to what they want. They do according to what God wants. <clears throat> Five minutes more, more and I think I can uh, complete a thought that I'm processing here. Uh, but to be like Jesus, it means that you must come to the measure of fullness of the stature of Christ. That you be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro. When you become like Christ, fashions don't change you. 
You know what? I saw on television a new kind of outfit. Well, if it's modest, you can go ahead and buy it. But we are so caught up with this world and what it has to offer that we have few disciples that really love God to serve him. But God knows my job is not to get frustrated with who don't want to serve God. My job is to preach the gospel like God wants me to preach it. And whoever he touches will pursue that path. And that's my job. End. Job's done. And so I'm doing that today. And so when you understand this, Jesus loved righteousness and he hates iniquity. The biggest obstacle to spiritual development is the church that God has designed to save mankind. The devil has undermined with iniquity. And if iniquity works in a church, a single, not one single overcomer will be produced. That is why what destroyed the devil was iniquity. And when we come up here and want to make the church a little Hollywood, a little place of entertainment, a little place of personal uh, uh, feelings of gratification, we will never produce overcomers, Brother Sam. When we have all the mechanics that they're doing out there in religion, when we bring our past traditions from where we're coming, pagan cultures, and we bring that into the church, we have produced a church that is underlaid with iniquity. Jesus said in the last days, iniquity shall abound, and because it shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Yes, sir. If this church has iniquity, then I'm wasting my time preaching to it. It will never produce an, overcome, produce an overcomer. That's why Israel could not produce it when it had, over, it had iniquity. That's why Israel through the years could not, have done it, could not have done it. And that's why today Israel can do it still until God reaches in to save them. And that's why this church or any other church that has iniquity will be unable to produce overcomers. Because the preachers would be preaching an entertaining gospel rather than a gospel designed to save individuals. All right, that's it, five minutes. I got four left. <clears throat> chapter one of Ephesians. In chapter one, it says here in chapter one, verse four, uh, verse four, according as God has chosen us in him, when did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. Before you were even a little uh, embryo. Before Adam was even formed. God, before the foundation of the world. He made choice because God is eternal. He does, is not affected by time. He occupies eternity without the distinction of present, past, or future. You and I are in time. We are affected by today and tomorrow. We age. God does not. He has created time. And the first day and the last days looks the same to him. You and I placed in time are affected. God does not, is not affected. And so, before the foundation of the world, let's read it. <clears throat> According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be happy and go lucky. No, we should be holy and without blame. God had that plan. 
If I'm to be in the bride of Christ, I must come to the place that God has already planned that I'd be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us. I got a destiny I can't change. No matter what I do, if God wants me, he's going to bring me on that path. A death predestinated unto us according to the adoption of his children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 9 and 10. Let's read. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will. What is God's plan? You mean he's just going to change us, make us overcomers, and we sit and play harps for the rest of our lives? Walk on streets of gold? No. He has an eternal plan. There are billions and billions of planets and galaxies beyond our understanding that are occupied. I believe they are occupied. And theologians might come to their own conclusion, but I believe there's a vastness out there that's beyond our understanding. And when man is making a trip to Mars and they get all excited, it's billions of light years beyond Mars I'm talking about. And it says here, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he had purchased a purpose in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, when it comes to the climax of everything, here is what is going to happen. He might gather together all things in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. You see, Christ is the main source. He is the main image. He is the main person here. And that is why when we become like Christ, when God is bringing together everything that are in Christ, they will form a glorious unity of leaders that will move on not only governing this world, but move on out into the uh, going on beyond the galaxies, beyond the comprehension of your mind and my mind. Yes, sir. May God help us. Amen. Whether it was the fall, whether it's the Garden of Eden, whether it's uh, the nation of Israel, whatever. And here's the biggest part that you need to understand. <clears throat> Even the devil was a part of God's plan. And sometimes when God is taking you through a process to cleanse you, because gold must be tried with fire. When God is taking you through the process, oh God, I rebuke the devil. Don't rebuke the devil. He'll laugh at you. Overcome the devil. Don't rebuke. <laughs> rebuke. No, don't kid yourself. Uh, Daniel could not rebuke him and nobody else. Gabriel could not rebuke him. What things do you think you're going to say? Satan, I rebuke you. Resist the devil by living godly. Because he works with your fallen nature. Today I'm talking to you and Satan can make me do nothing. You like my pronunciation? Satan can make me do nothing, Sister Dolores, that I don't want to do myself. As far as I'm concerned, he is weak and impotent. And the only strength he has is my fallen nature. He can make me lust. He can make me get carnal. He can make me get angry. And that is why the whole Bible is made up of telling us that we need the meekness and gentleness of Christ. We need Christ to be developed in us. And so when he's developed and the fruit of the Spirit is developed, 
the works of the flesh will fall away. And we'll be overcomers. Glad to talk to you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this another day in your house. And Lord, I can only preach the word. May you give us understanding and light. Oh God, touch every child of God in this place and everyone following us online. And speak to their hearts, we pray. Produce that desire to pursue the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name and for his glory, we pray. Amen and amen.